But one thing we do know is what came of Adam's actions. Because of Adam, we see the world as we see it today. Today we're going to find ourselves in the book of Romans, chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. Here in this passage, we see this description of Adam and the chain reaction that followed his action to where we get today. And we hear this question or this this contemplation almost echo in the background of the text. If only Adam could see this. Would you meet me, church family, in the book of Romans chapter 5? And if you can, would you please join me by standing to your feet? And church, I know I can't hear you, at least most of you. There are a few in this space where I'm at. But I want you to respond as if God were speaking to you in your place. I want you to uh, allow this to become a dialogue between God's word and yourself, a dialogue between God's word and the church as we read and as you hear God's word preached. Let's join in together as I read Romans 5. Listen with me in verses 12, the following. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is now counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type. Can you say type? Who was a type of the one who was to come. Verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned from that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, verse 18, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Hallelujah. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, Grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thanks be to God for his word. You may be seated, church. Now, this is a mouthful of a passage, and I recognize that. But when we understand the line of argumentation, we recognize that a parallel is being made between Adam and Jesus. Humanity 
that the problem of sin has gone on since the Garden of Eden, and the solution of salvation has gone forth from the cross of Jesus. We see in today's passage that no matter how bad things look, God has provided a way for redemption. So as we look at the opening verses I read, I begin to ask if only Adam could see this. We see here, therefore, in verse 12, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. What Paul is saying is there is a one man, Adam, the first man. And through Adam, death spread. Now some wonder, well, if Eve took the fruit first, ate of it and gave to her husband, why is Adam held responsible? Well, it's clear from the opening chapters of the book of Genesis that God created Adam first, and God gave Adam this responsibility to lead and lovingly lead his wife and to oversee creation. He failed miserably, and so God came looking for him in his failure. In fact, after his sin, as God walked through the garden, God called for Adam and not for Eve because God held Adam responsible. Adam sinned. And when Adam sinned, God's perfect creation saw something adjusted within it. Sin entered the world. Now, God had told Adam, and Adam was supposed to tell Eve, that when they eat of the fruit, something terrible would also happen in addition to sin. It would be the consequence of that sin. And God says, for the day you eat of the fruit, you shall surely die. Now, Adam and Eve did not die instantly. They didn't die in that very moment. But what they did was spiritually become separated from God, and death entered the world. This was the consequence of Adam's actions. Sin came into the world, and through sin came death. And then this chain reaction, it says in verse 12, So death spread to all men because all sin." How do we know that Adam's sin affected all of us? Because all of us sin. And just as death came to him, death will come to you and me. There is a machine called the Rube Goldberg machine. You may be familiar with it. I grew up watching Pee Wee Herman. And I remember Pee Wee had this amazing machine that made breakfast for him. If you know what I'm talking about, it's a kind of machine where you press one lever or you cause a ball to roll or you hit a domino and one thing leads to another. It's a creative, complex, and overly difficult machine that completes a very simple task. The chain reaction allows for one thing to flow into another. And Adam's reaction was, Adam's actions were much like a Rube Goldberg. One simple taking of the fruit set off things into motion, like I said, perhaps in ways he would have never imagined. And we see ultimately it leads to death. And what I find remarkable in verse 14, Paul says death reigned. Death reigned from Adam to Moses. Death reigned. That language of reigning is remarkable because it is the same word used of a king who reigns over a throne. Death reigns like a brutal dictator. Death causes all of its subjects to submit to its devilish demands. Death dominates people, and it exacts life indiscriminately. 
death reigns with a heavy hand, and it has reigned from Adam to all his offspring ever since. Now, all people have this very thing on their throat, and for men, it is far more pronounced. It is called, in our day, an Adam's apple. Now, I was wondering about that. That's a curious term to call something that we have on our throats. For men in particular, it protrudes, and it is called an Adam's apple because according to folklore, when Adam took the fruit, God caused the piece of the fruit to lodge in his throat as a perpetual reminder that he disobeyed God. Now, that sounds pretty fun, but that's actually not in the Bible. But as I thought about this idea, there is a real truth to it. Surely it's not, it's not, it's not this thing in my throat. But it's that Adam's actions had far-reaching consequences to all who would follow. But still, the legend, which is false, has something that's terribly wrong to it. Adam's apple would not only affect men, but I'm sorry, ladies, it would also affect you. Adam's sin has gone into all of humanity, men and women alike. Adam's fruit is not just lodged in our throats, but is lodged into our souls. He took of the fruit, and from that fruit came sin. And from that sin came a chain reaction leading to death and sin and the brokenness in the world we see around us. The Apostle Paul is going here, church family, because we need to understand the roots of what we're looking at in our day and age. We see a very clear picture of what's going on. And so what the enemy did for Adam is what he does for most of us. He blurred Adam's vision of the consequence of his sin and gave him clarity about the enticement in front of him. You and I fall into the same trap when we pursue things that look enticing while ignoring the fact that these things are going to cause our destruction. This is precisely what happened to Adam. This is what happens to you when you're in line at your grocery store and you buy a stick of gum at the register. That's called impulsive purchases. It's the kind of thing we do as a reaction right at the register before we go on the checkout. Many of us are impulsive sinners, but we're also premeditated, calculated sinners. You see, sin has affected our being, so we sin impulsively and we sin planningly, but we sin because we are sinners. It is a tactic of Satan to cause us to not see the consequence and allow us to see the enjoyment of of the sin in the moment. But notice what Paul says here. He says in verse 13, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Now that's a curious statement. What what is Paul meaning here? Well, basically he's saying is this, Surely the law of Moses came well after Adam. And if that's where the law was given, could there be a breaking of a law where there is no law to begin with? And so he suspected that people would have this this kind of rational way of thinking. And what Paul is saying here is that's just the wrong way of seeing things. Because yes, the law of Moses came in the tablets, the Ten Commandments later on, but the law of God has always been written in our hearts. So that's why he says in verse 14, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, showing that there was law breaking because people died, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. And basically, Paul's like, look, maybe you didn't take that fruit. Maybe you didn't disobey a direct command from God. But yes, you have sinned, even if it was not in the same ways that Adam sinned. Whether we like it or not, Adam is our representative. 
and in his actions have been counted to us, and from our birth we have died. We have sinned, I'm sorry, and that leads to death, that we would die. If only Adam could see this. If only Adam would have known what would happen, that in 2020 a deadly virus would cause a global pandemic. That's the result of the fall, church. 430,000 people have died in four months because of COVID-19. That's the result of the fall. The abuse of power by those in authority is the result of the fall. Ahmaud Arbery's killing, Breonna Taylor's death, and George Floyd's murder are the result of the fall. Rioted streets and looted businesses are the results of the fall. If only Adam could have seen this. Mistreated migrants whose presence is rejected but whose labor is expected is the result of the fall. Human trafficking and booming pornography industries are the result of the fall. Food deserts are the result of the fall. Cancel culture is the result of the fall. From gossip to greed, from pride to prejudice, from hating to complaining, this is the result of the fall. And if only Adam could see this. In Adam all die, Paul tells us. Sin is a part of your life By virtue of your humanity, death is a part of your life by virtue of your humanity. We look at this, and some people in our culture will say, God, this doesn't seem fair that I am held accountable for one man's disobedience. Well, in our individualistic society, we we have a hard time understanding corporate sin and corporate guilt especially in America. We don't want to take responsibility for things that have happened as part of our heritage, and we say, I haven't done it. But we're so quick to want the individualistic act of one man on a cross for us while denying the individualistic sin of another. Look, church family, the Bible tells us that because of Adam, we all die, but there is a flip side that because of Jesus, we can all be made alive. His sin was counted to us, but Jesus' righteousness can be counted to us. So before we complain about Adam, let's make sure we're not also complaining about Jesus. If we would reject Adam's sin, then by virtue we're rejecting Jesus' death for our sins. This is the point that Paul wants to make clear. He goes on to say at the end of verse 14, he says, Adam was a type of the one who was to come. I love this word type. It is this idea of what we find in the Bible called typology. Typology tells us that we see some images, particularly in the Old Testament, that point to realities later in the New Testament. Take, for instance, Noah's Ark. We see God's damnation upon the earth, but how God saved Noah and his family through this ark, through the flood. That typology also reminds us of another time when God's wrath was poured out and some were saved through an object called a cross. Typology. Typology tells us how Joseph, in the book of Genesis, the righteous one suffered unjustly at the hands of his own brothers, 
But through his suffering would lead to life for God's people through the famine and plague. Typology, because there would be another one who would be righteous, betrayed by those who his old brothers, yet bring salvation through this work. Typology. Genesis tells us of a man named Melchizedek, who is called the king of Salem. The word Salem meaning peace. A man, Melchizedek, called the king of peace, and he eats bread and drinks wine with Abraham, and Abraham gives him a tithe. And the book of Hebrews tells us that by type, there is one later who would be the king of peace, who would share, shed his own blood and pour out his blood and break his body to give us peace. This is typology. And what Paul is saying here is that Adam was a type of one who was to come. In fact, Paul says Adam is the first Adam, and there would be a second Adam to come. The first Adam represented humanity in sin and death, but a second Adam would come and represent humanity in life. Who is that second Adam? Well, of course, it is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Adam was a type. He is like a concept car. If you go to the auto show, you would see concept cars that are precursor for future cars yet to come. Concept cars are not mass produced because they're expensive, but they're put on the market to get a sense of how people react. In fact, one uh, one magazine says prototypes like these concept cars take ideas that are relatively well-developed and put them into the public arena to test the reaction. This type tests the reaction. Well, the type of Adam not just tested a reaction, but gave a reaction, and that reaction is sin, and the reaction led to another chain reaction, which is death. Adam was the type, yet there was another one who is to come. They were parallel, but they were different. They were not the same because where the first Adam got it terribly wrong, the second Adam would get it gloriously right. And so I asked earlier if only Adam could see this coming when it came to sin. But then I started asking if only Adam could see this coming as it came to redemption. Undoubtedly, Adam knew how broken the world became because of his actions. His very own son, Cain, killed his other son, Abel. Adam saw it. He lived 900 plus years. He saw the fruit of his actions. And no doubt he grieved every day, wishing he would not have taken that fruit, like you and I often grieve over our sin. And yes, he had the promise of Genesis 3.15, that an offspring would come from Eve's body to crush the serpent. But I wonder how much of that Adam knew. And I often ask here, if only Adam knew or could see this that would take place. Could Adam see that he was but a type, but there would be another who redeemed where he failed? Verse 15 says, the free gift is not like the trespass. What God offers freely is not like what Adam gave to us. For if many died through Adam, the one man's trespass, much more had the grace of God and the free gift by that grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound for the many. 
What Paul tells us here, Adam failed miserably, but Jesus succeeded gloriously. And he offers a free gift. Now this term free gift uses several different Greek words at different times as Paul uses it. He uses it in five, chapter 5, verse 15, seemingly to refer to Jesus' righteousness as the free gift. Then again, he uses it again a few words later, seeming to, extend, uh, to refer to God's grace extended to us. In chapter 5, verse 17, he seems to refer to the free gift as Jesus willingly dying for us. But then we get to Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin and death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. And so I was reading this and I began to wonder, what is the free gift that Paul is talking about? Is it Jesus' righteousness given to us? Is it Jesus' sacrificial act while we were still sinners? Is it the fact that God gives us a gift that we don't deserve? Is this free gift an extension of grace when we hated God? Is this free gift the eternal life that he gives to us who deserve eternal death? What is God's free gift? And as I studied the passage and I tried to define and put my finger on it, I couldn't help but say that the answer to my question was yes. The free gift is all of the above. And if we can summarize it in one word, it would be salvation. You see, what Paul is saying here, church family, is that God offers you and I his free gift of salvation found through Jesus. But that free gift is so nuanced and so robust and so glorious that we can hardly describe it in one or two, three or four terms. It reminds me of my second or first year wedding anniversary. After getting married, I worked for a bank in Lincoln Park. And I've only been for the, in the company Uh, annual meeting and at these annual meetings they created kind of an environment of of a party and they auctioned off things and they gave away free things and here I was the newbie on the block just there for a couple of months and people haven't been there for 20 25 years and at this company party they're giving away a free all inclusive vacation somewhere in the world your choice And all of us got a raffle ticket and sat there, some 200 people or so. Of course, the odds were not in our favor. But nonetheless, I sat there wondering. They pulled out the number, they read it aloud, and lo and behold, it was the number in my hand. I was given a free, all-inclusive resort paid vacation to anywhere we wanted. We chose Jamaica, y'all. We went to Negril. And this was quite the trip. You see, this free gift of a vacation actually had so many other things that were fun about it. We experienced Jamaican culture. We rode wave runners. We ate Jamaican cuisine. We listened to reggae music. We had a good old time. And as I look back on that, the free gift was the vacation, but that just wasn't, wasn't the way we can summarize it. It was so much more than a paid vacation It was memories, it was experiences, it was laughter, it was joy. And God's like, I'm offering you a free gift. You don't deserve it. You might be the newbie on the block. There might be others who feel more deserving. You don't deserve it. No one deserves it. I'm giving you my free gift. And as you take my free gift, you're actually going to come to know there's so much more to it. 
It's not just merely a gift, but it's a gift that keeps on giving. Because in this free gift, Paul says that this brings justification for all of us, which means we can stand before God. It means we can be clothed in his righteousness. It means we can experience God's grace. We can experience Jesus' death on our behalf. We can receive God's free gift. Just as we, by virtue of being humans, are inheritors of sin and death, we can also be those, through faith, inheritors of forgiveness and life. Paul says in verse 16, the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Where condemnation says, get out of my my face, be gone, I don't know you. Justification says, stand in my presence, remain, stay a while. I know you, you belong to me. If only Adam could see this, that the separation his actions brought about could actually be healed by the second Adam, Jesus Christ. Verse 17 tells us that death reigned, but in verse 17 we also see that we can reign in life because of this free gift. Verse 18, therefore, Paul writes, as one trespass led to condemnation for all, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. And that's, of course, for all who believe, as he argued the first two chapters. Church family, what we must understand is that in Adam, all will die. But through Jesus, the second Adam, All can live. This is a matter of scope. Adam's sin was far-reaching, and Jesus' redemption is even more far-reaching. And what he does is offer to you the gift of forgiveness. If you have put your faith in Jesus and you are part of the body of Christ, you need to rejoice in the second Adam. You need to marvel at what he's accomplished because where the first Adam took the fruit of a tree, the second Adam bore the fruit of sin on a tree. Where the first Adam disregarded God's command, the second Adam perfectly obeyed the Father's commands. Where the first Adam failed in a garden, the second Adam prayed and succeeded in a garden. Where the first Adam brought condemnation, the second Adam would bring justification. If only Adam could see what you and I could see. Where the first Adam's actions led to death, the second Adam's actions lead to life. Where the first Adam shifted blame, the second Adam took our blame. Where the first Adam let down his bride, the second Adam laid down his life for his bride. Where the first Adam hid from the father, the second Adam showed us the father. Where the first Adam saw that he was naked, the second Adam covers our nakedness with his righteousness. If only Adam could see this, if only Adam could see what you and I could see. This is the gospel, church family. This is the good news. That from the Garden of Eden, 
where Adam failed, Jesus would later succeed and bring eternal life. Church family, we must be bearers of this good news. We must be those who rest in this good news. When we sense and feel condemnation, you must at that point remember that you have been justified. You have been declared right before God. And when God sees you, he sees you clothed with his son Jesus and not with the sin you feel before you. There is good news in this gospel. And Paul says this in verse 21, so that as in, in sin reigned, uh, as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Church family, our world is so broken. Our world is in so much need of the truths of Jesus Christ. And where Adam failed in the garden, Jesus succeeded. So church, let's, let's hold on. Let's hold fast to this gospel. Let's remember that although in Adam all die, that in Christ all can be made alive. Let's walk in that identity. Let's walk in that newness. And let that be on our lips as our world is so broken, so broken today. But there is hope through Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I'm thankful, Lord, that as a, a son of Adam, as incapable as I am to bring about my own forgiveness and salvation, you stepped into all of our places. But Lord, we also know that this free gift of salvation is only applied to us if we turn from our sin and put our faith in Jesus. And I pray that people would do that today. That those who are far from you, who don't know Jesus, would come to you today and realize that Jesus did what they could not do. And Lord, for all who are children of God, God, allow us to walk in that. Allow us to not get caught up in the brokenness of our world, but to be difference makers because of the gospel in the brokenness of our world. Oh God, we praise you for Jesus Christ. In him alone, we put our faith. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Good for us as we grow in our faith. Church family, we also uh, want you to, to, to encourage you to get together on Sunday mornings to have watch parties until we are meeting in person again. It's probably only about a number of weeks before that's going to be the case, but, but take advantage of this time to have maybe someone over your home that you want to just worship with. 
uh, put the projector up outside or move, move your TV out to the backyard. Be creative. But let's begin to already worship together in preparation for what's going to take place when we get back into this space. Church, I want to leave you with this blessing from God's word. And uh, man, I just miss you all so much. I can't wait till we can do this in person. God's word says this, that the Lord your God is with you and he is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he'll rejoice over you with singing. That's Zephaniah 3, 17. God bless you, Brooke family. I love you. We love you. And we'll see you soon.